standing for prayer. Father, we just love you today and we glorify your name. We magnify your name. We welcome you in this place tonight. 
God, we pray that your spirit would be felt in this house tonight. Every note that is played and song that is sung, let it be for the glory and honor of the kingdom of God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Will you take the next few moments and greet those around you in the Lord at this time. God bless you. you make your way back to your seats to see and let's remain standing and continue to worship the Lord we're gonna sing some praise choruses and songs you probably know but let's just worship the Lord tonight
glorify your name.
I'd rather have Jesus than
We thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to 
Father, we truly thank you that it is the salvation. It was free to us, but it cost you everything. Father, we are so grateful and thankful that you provided a way of an atonement and escape for us from hell's fiery fury. God, I know singing an anthem of praise of thank you, Lord, for saving my soul would certainly not do justice to what you have actually done. God, I pray that even if it's that, that's the best that our heart can give and render unto your name today, that, God, you would accept that as a sweet-smelling savor and offering unto the Lord. And it would be in such a way, God, that you would inhabit the praise of your people and remind us once again that you are in the midst and you dwell among the midst of your people. Father, as we get ready to break the bread of life, I pray that eyes and hearts and ears would be, would be open and susceptible to the words of God to make residency in their life. Speak to us, anoint these lips of clay, take a coal from the altar of heaven, hide me behind the cross, let us not be hearers of the word only, but doers thereof likewise. We pray this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the body of Christ together, said amen. amen. As you remain standing, I'm going to ask you to grab your Bibles, if you would be so kind. Go to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter number 42. Isaiah chapter number 42, we'll start reading in verse number 1. Let me say to the band and the singers and all those that have been helping out today and this afternoon and evening, thank you so much. Can we just give our band and our worship team and all of them that work every week just a hand of appreciation for always being willing to serve? They do an incredible job each week making sure that we are ushered into the presence of the Lord. We're going to read about four verses of scripture here. And then we'll jump right in to the words of the uh, to the main crux of the word of the Lord. Isaiah chapter forty-two, verse one through verse four, and then we'll cross-reference this with Matthew chapter twelve. Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my elect one, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry out, nor raise his voice nor calls his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoking flax he will not quench. He'll bring forth justice for truth. He will not fail, nor be discouraged, till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands shall wait for his law. Now look at Matthew chapter 12, verse 18. Watch what Jesus Words of red, these are Jesus referring back to, if you will, this same passage of Scripture. Jesus is actually the one, if you will, being referred to by the gospel writer of Matthew. They're talking about Jesus. Jesus has already come. They have described him as Lord of the Sabbath. They have described him as the Messiah, the soon coming king. They've already lorded him, if you will, the disciples, as king of kings and lord of lords. Jesus knew that he, all this was happening. He withdrew himself and he charged them that they would tell no one, meaning that he didn't want them to reveal what he was about to say. And he reminds them of something Isaiah said. 
Behold my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel, nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed, he will not break. This is talking prophetically of his death. Nor smoking flax, he will not quench till he sends forth justice to victory. And in his name, Gentiles will trust. Or another way you could say that, in his name, all men will be saved. God is not a God just for Jews, just for certain tribes, just for certain ethnicities. God is a God for all people. And as I sat today and thought about the last few days and weeks and things that have been going on in the church and things that have been going on in people's lives that are a part of this church, I had a word, one particular word that crossed my mind and I wrote it down and as I began to kind of, if you will, delve more into the word of God this afternoon in my office, I, I stayed here all afternoon and I worked on reading this passage of scripture, this word still resonated, and I just want to, for a few moments, I just want to talk to you about his tender grace. God's grace is so sufficient. The Apostle Paul says that his grace was sufficient. It's sufficient. When the Apostle Paul said, I prayed that the Lord would take my infirmary, that thorn, he said, but my grace can I tell someone here today, I don't know where you are. I know some of you weren't here this morning. Some of you, maybe you're only here tonight. Some may be watching online that didn't, weren't with us in service today. But can I tell you, no matter what you're going through, you may feel like that all hell is against you and asunder. You feel like you don't have any chance to swim out of this mess. But can I tell you, His grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. Father, I pray that you would bless the reading of this word. And I pray that, God, you would be glorified and lifted up and no one else seen but Jesus, the Savior, and the Lamb of Calvary. I pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and the people of God together said amen. Amen. You may be seated. That word grace was the word that kept coming to my mind throughout the course of the day today. And as I, I was originally going to call, or if you will, title this message, Agents of Grace. Agents of Grace. And as we journey through this sermon, you'll understand why that was kind of the, the original thought process, if you will, of titling this, in, this message of being Agents of Grace. But the more I started thinking about the grace of God, the more I started thinking about how tender and loving God is. Can God be a righteous judge? Yes, He can. Can God be the jury? Yes, He can. Can God be the executioner? Yes, He can. Can God be the supreme judge that His, his vote is final and His sentencing is final? Yes, He can. But there are times when He's not a judge and the jury and the executioner for punishment, but He's the administrator of tender grace. How many times in our lives should God, the righteous judge, pronounce guilty? But instead he pronounced, go and sin no more. How many times has God said, God could have said, 
write Ichabod over the door. Let my glory depart from them. Let my spirit leave them. But how many times when he had every right to write us off did he say, but my grace is sufficient for you. How many times in our lives when we didn't deserve the mercies of God, when we didn't deserve a second, a third, a fourth, a fifth, a thirty-fifth, a thirty-sixth, a hundredth chance, but how many times instead of condemning us to hell, God said, go and sin no more. I am with you even until the end of the age. How many times has His grace rescued us when we were dead in our trespasses of sin? His grace. You know, John Newton, some theologians or some historians believe he as he was riding as he was riding on a boat out in the harbor, John Newton was known to have had during that time period, to be at least be around during that time period of, of the African American slave. There was a lot of slave trading that were going on and and uh, and so oftentimes he would find himself on boats that uh, may be carrying uh, slaves from, from one uh, a place to another for their for their hired being hired hands, if you will. And some people believe that John Newton could have very well heard the, if you will, African American dialect of singing. They have their own dialect. I had the steam privilege for three months to serve as an all African American church as an interim pastor. And, and the way they sing, the way they turn their notes, the way they, they sing certain songs, they can sing the same song you sing, but they put notes in there you don't know about. And they sound good when they do it. You try to do that, it does not sound the same. They just have their, their just charisma about it. And, and they would sing songs like, you know, we, you know the African American spirituals, what we call the spiritual songs. Many of them, Brother Larry, had, if you will, hidden subliminal messages in the song. Like, take for an example the song, Sweet Low, Sweet Chariot, Coming For To Carry Me Home. That wasn't just a good song they were singing out in the rice fields or in the tea farms and places like that. No, no, it was actually a song to let other people know how to get to the underground railroads and to find their way home and how to get out of slavery. It was Swing Low, Sweet Chariot. What they were saying is if you can get to this point, someone's going to carry you home. Yeah, we talk about it going to heaven. They were talking about it too, but they also were saying, Hey, Swing Low, Sweet Chariot, come and take me home. But John Newton was probably, maybe his style, maybe his journeys, he crossed paths at some point. In the African-American culture, they sing what we call the platonic scales, which means most African-American songs are all written on the black notes of the piano, not the white ones. There's no correlation to that. It's not anything racist in that at all. It is just what they call the pentatonic scales. So any song that you hear are always written typically on a pentatonic scale. Things like... All pentatonic notes, all black notes. Now we play it in the key of G, but if you played it in the key of G flat, you may know this song.
all black notes, pentatonic scales. We sing the song Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. It's a beautiful song. Written on a pentatonic scale line. I don't know, I can't prove, no one can actually 100% prove that that's where he got, if you will, the melody or the melodious penmanship of the song. But one thing we do know for certain, that whether he heard someone singing the uh, uh, platonic scales of Swing Low, Sweet Chariot or something of that nature, something inside of him, Brother Mike, grabbed a pen and a piece of paper. And as he heard some sort of melodious sonnet playing in his ears, he heard this in his head. Through many dangers, toils and snares, I have already come. He heard amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. The Lord has been so good to me. His hope, my hope secures. He will, will be my portion, be as long as life endures. He heard songs. He heard, he just started writing the words. Now, we would probably say if you surveyed 100,000 people, 99,999 of them, if you ask them probably what is the greatest hymn of all time, they're going to probably name you Amazing Grace. The only other song that may come close to Amazing Grace is How Great Thou Art. How Great Thou Art and Amazing Grace, though they're synonymous, think about the message that the two greatest hymns that people say are the hymns of the ages. What are their messages? Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art. What is he great? Why, why is he great? Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Look at how those two, what is the iconic hymns of faith, how their message intertwine. God is great because of his grace. Of his grace. The prophet Isaiah He's beginning to prophesy, if you will, of the, the soon coming of the Messiah. He is writing about, if you will, the arrival and even some what the impending death of what the Messiah will face. He is writing that during a time when Israel is in captivity. So to hear the message of there is going to be someone to come that's going to rescue us from captivity would have been music. To the Israelites' ears. In that moment, that would have sounded like a wonderful thing to read. That there is an anointed one, a Messiah, that's going to come and set us free. That would have been words. That would have been like music to their ears. This message centered on Jesus bringing a balance to the world through justice and righteous judgment. Oh, to the Israelites, that sounded great. We've been in captivity. Oh, we would love for someone to come show these people a little thing about justice and judgment. See, the Lord judges by pure truth based on his foreknowledge of what he already knows. Can I tell you, nothing catches God by surprise. God doesn't sit up in heaven and go, oh, I didn't see that one coming. Never has that happened in God's care. God can judge righteously because he knows the end from the beginning. So he knows how the thing plays out so he doesn't have to be caught off guard. In fact, the Bible tells us in Psalms 51 and 6, Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in secret you make wisdom known to me. God's all about truth and judgment. 
wisdom, foreknowledge. But of all those things, do you not think that the God that created the sun, the moon, and the stars, he flung millions of solar system galaxies that we have yet to discover. We are a part of the Milky Way, but there are thousands, they say, light years away of galaxies we know nothing about. The God who's flung them out into space with just the palm of his hand. You don't think he knew how messed up our lives you and I would be one day? You don't think he would realize that one day we would be on our fast track to a devil's hell and had it not been for the Lord on our side? Tell me, where would I be? Do you not think? Yes, I do, because from the book of Genesis, we see when Adam and Eve, they took the, the bait, if you will, from Satan and ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Even then, from the foundations of the very first man and woman that has been recorded in history, from that very account, we see the providential grace of Jesus Christ in the story. Because when it came down in the cool of the day, he said, Adam, 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 and Adam went and answered, finally answered. He said, Adam, why are you hiding? And he said, for I am naked. God said, well, who told you? You had no clothes. And he said, oh, well, I don't know. He said, did you eat of the tree? And Adam said, I did, but the woman you gave. And the woman said, but it's the serpent's fault. And even though God said, Adam, by the sweat of your brow, you'll have to work. Woman, Eve, by, by you'll desire your husband, but you'll have pain and travail and childbearing. And serpent, you'll be cursed, cursed to the ground, and you will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. All that is great. He sends a cherubim, and he, and he puts a flaming red sword so they can't get in. But it, before he sent them out, before he kicked them out, the Bible said he shed an animal, blood. He, he allowed an animal's blood sacrifice, and he clothed them with fur and, and warmth, if you will. What was he doing? He was taking the warmth of his love. He wouldn't want them to be cold where, you know, fig leaves sewn together would be airish. But those fur coats would have, if you will, the ability to fight off the cold desert air. And, and so what God was showing was that he was going to wrap them in his loving arms. And even though there are consequences to sin, God was starting from the foundations of earth. There will come a day that there will be a blood sacrifice that will be shed. But when he is shed, anyone who's willing to change their garments and change their rags of filthiness and their rags of unrighteousness for robes of righteousness, they can be saved if they just accept the gift. His grace. It was displayed from the start. It was there all along. And from Genesis all the way through, every story, every plot twist, every detour, every turn, every high, Brother James, every low, every part of this book points to one thing. The coming of the Messiah. And once he arrived, the rest of the book's pointing to one thing. The coming of the Messiah, but not like he was the first time. The first time he came as a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. The first time he came, he came meek and mild, tender as a child. The first time he came to be slaughtered. He come to die. He come to give his life so that we would have his life for a ransom of many. But the second time he comes, he's not coming to be killed. He's not coming to be whipped around. He's not coming to be a wimpy king, but he's coming as a triumphant king to be crowned king of kings and lord of lords and alpha and omega and beginning and the end all of this whole book the first part pointed to him coming to save me and to redeem me the second part of the book showed that he's coming again to take me to where i am
him that he will be also. I'm telling you this whole book centers on the grace of Jesus Christ. The grace of Jesus Christ. Because he came the first time because I couldn't get to him. The second time he's coming again because I too can't get to him. Both times he came got me so that I can go to where he's headed. Every time. What do you see in this story? What are what in these pages of scripture? What are some things about the, if you will, characteristics of God's tender grace? Well, the first thing I want to tell you is we serve a great Savior. You couldn't save yourself, and I couldn't save myself, and we couldn't save each other. The more the Bible says, our righteousness, according to the book of Isaiah, the same prophet, our righteousness were as filthy rags before the Lord. Meaning, it was it did the, our best efforts, the best we could do, failed at his feet. We couldn't do it. You could give all the money away you wanted to. You could be the biggest tithe payer at church. You could be give, you could be the biggest charitable donate, uh, donator to any kind of, of 501c3 corporation. You could do all the good works you wanted to. But the Apostle Paul said, It is not by works that man must be saved, lest any man should boast. You cannot do it. But it's only through the shedding of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It's only through Jesus and Jesus alone. I'm telling you, I don't care if they tell if somebody tells you it doesn't come from Buddha. It doesn't come from Muhammad. It doesn't come from good works. It doesn't come. If you don't know Jesus Christ and Him crucified, you will not be saved. You will not go to heaven. You will not live in gates behind gates of pearls and walk on streets of gold. The only way you're going to get there is through Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the only choice you've got. Isaiah 42 and 1 said, Behold my servant, I uphold my elect one in whom I my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. We see that God's favor, the favor of the Father is in this. He said, Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my elect one. It shows that God sent us his best, the favor of God. God said he would uphold him. He delights in him. But can I tell you, when Jesus came, his life was lived. I believe it was the psalmist David. Or it might have been actually his son Solomon, I believe. I correct myself. I believe it was song, it's the, the, the book of Solomon or the writings of Solomon. That tells me that not only Isaiah said, Behold the servant whom I uphold, my elect, my soul delights. But the Bible tells me that God will uphold with his righteous right hand those who are of his faith and of his family. And the Bible said the Lord will sing songs over me delights in me the Bible says delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart you don't understand delight because the greatest person that understands delight is the one where delight comes from the one who flung the, flung the stars the moon and the solar systems into place is the same one will shut heaven down will shut up the singing of the angels and the seraphims he'll shut everything down because when you start singing he doesn't want to hear the angels that have to sing because 24 hours a day 7 days a week 364 and a quarter days a year the angels 
have no choice but he knows you have a choice because you have been fearfully and wonderfully made Psalms 139 says the Bible says I have the DNA out of the breath of God the Ruah the breath of God he breathed in a man's nostrils and made them a living soul when heaven has to sing that's all well and good but when we stand up in church and we sing great are you Lord and greatly to be praised he doesn't need heaven to do it because they have to do it but he loves to hear his children who choose to worship him he inhabits the Bible said the praises of his people and his glory the book of Isaiah said oh Lord that you would open up the heavens and you would rend down you would come down in our midst can I tell you the Lord sings songs of delight over you he loves you he sings over you he desires fellowship with you we also know that the greatness of the Savior not only had the favor of the Father but it also had the filling of the Spirit He said, I will put my spirit upon him. Can I tell you the Father dispenses his spirit to be placed on the Messiah, that anointed one. But can I tell you God still today longs to dispense the Holy Spirit of God on those who are called sons and daughters of the Most High God. The Holy Spirit did not die in Acts chapter 2 and go back to heaven in Acts chapter 3. But He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. You can't have God the Father, God the Son without God the Holy Spirit. All three are one. They all have different parts, but they all make up one triune God. I'm telling you, the thing that taps you on the shoulder in the morning says, that's not a good idea. That's not a conscience. That's the Holy Spirit. The thing that tells you, put up, shut up, keep your mouth quiet, don't say anything and make a fool of yourself, that's not wisdom that's the Holy Ghost giving you wisdom you're not that smart I'm telling you the Holy Spirit is not sitting up in heaven just flying around twiddling his thumbs but he is on this earth and he lives inside of you and he lives inside of me that wherever we go we carry like I said this morning the presence of God we carry the spirit of almighty God with us with God before us who can be against us the Bible says that his spirit Jesus said it is imperative that I go away so that when I go I can send another the paraclete the helper I can send the one to you I'm telling you God did not leave us here empty God did not leave us here helpless but he sent the best he had the power of the Holy Spirit that's how great of a Savior we serve he left to build mansions but he sent us his power what a trade off I would much rather trade having to go build the house than having somebody I would much rather let somebody else build the house and just give me the keys to it and me be the one that have to build the house and give somebody else the keys building a house is work but it's nice when it's debt free and someone just hands you the keys and said we already paid the mortgage everything's good it's free here's your keys you don't have to do nothing but just open and lock the door that's what Jesus did. He was such a great Savior. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. I'm going to build you mansions. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am you may be also. But while all that's happening, he sent the power, the dunamis, the dynamite power. He sent it down here so that one day when I go to heaven, I don't have to pay for the mansion. I don't have to pay for the electric bill. I don't because the Bible said the Son of God is the light. We'll need no light in that city for the Son of God. I don't have to have DPU. I don't have to have Berkeley Electric. I don't have to have Santee Cooper. I don't have to have Aiken Power because Jesus 
Jesus Christ is the light of the world and he's going to light up that place I don't have to worry about a water bill because the Bible says there is a crystal river that flows right by every mansion I don't have to worry where I'm going to get clean water from because there's already water I don't have to worry about making the mortgage payment because when Jesus said it is finished he transferred the title tags indeed from the place of hell and transferred it to the records of glory you want to talk about the greatest deed the Bible said when I get to heaven St. Peter's going to look through the Lamb's book of life that's the royal deed and he's going to say 113 Pennsylvania Avenue no 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 he's going to say at 113 Hallelujah Square I've got a mansion just for you here's the keys why don't you just go on in unlock the door welcome home debt free I'm going to have a mansion one day I didn't pay for it I didn't have to do anything but the greatness of a Savior took care of it all for me. Took care of it all. That same verse, Isaiah 42 and 1, reminds us or tells us that God has always been focused on people. Look at what he said in Isaiah 41. He said, Behold, my servant whom I uphold, the favor of the Father, I'll put my spirit upon him, that is, if you will, the filling of the Spirit, but he'll bring forth justice to the Gentiles. The other translations said, And in his name Gentiles will be saved. God has always thought about you before you were ever thought about him. Think about that. God was thinking about you before you even had cognitive function to think about him. He already had thought about you. He already had a plan for you. He already was waiting on you. Jeremiah 29, 11 tells us, For God said, I have plans for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope in the future. Before the Bible said, Jeremiah said, When I was knitted together in my mother's womb, you called me out of my mother's womb. I wasn't even knowing I was going to be called. You called me. David said in Psalms 139, You formed and fashioned me and knit me together. I did not even know who you were, but God, you knew who I was. You knew how many hairs were on the top of my head. You knew every tear I would cry. You knew every pain I would feel. I didn't even know who you were, God, but you always knew who I was. Think about that. Isn't that wonderful to think about the greatness of a Savior? Even when you don't even know where he's at, he always knows where you are. He always knows where you are. Secondly, we understand that he has gentleness of speech. Look at what he says in verse number 2. He will not cry out. He's not going to raise his voice. He's not going to scream and holler. Nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. What are you saying, preacher? There's a calming presence about Jesus. Jesus doesn't always walk into the room and just start beating on things and slapping things and yelling and screaming. Yeah, there are times he has to flip tables out and bring whips out and tell them that my house will be called a house of prayer. But there are other times out the pages of Scripture, Brother Pike, that the world's standing there with the stone in one hand screaming, Stoner! 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 She's an adulterer! And Jesus stoops down in the quietness in the ground. And he begins to write into the sand. He hadn't said a word yet. When all of them read it, he looks up. He doesn't scream, You brood of vipers! You hypocrites! No, no, no. The Bible said with very still, calm voice, he said, He who is without sin, you be the one. That can. He didn't yell. He didn't berate them. He just made one simple, quiet, very eager, mild, meek, 
statement. He who is out sin, you cast the first stone. The Bible said they started to drop the stones one by one and they started to flee from that place because they none knew they were eligible to do that. The Bible said Jesus was still sitting there and he looked down at the woman and the Bible said with compassion in his eyes. I don't believe he said you low down whore, you slut, you prostitute, you low down something. No, no. I believe he looked with her with love in his eyes and tenderness in his eyes. I don't know if Jesus' eyes were brown. I don't know if they were hazel. I don't know what color they would have been. But I believe when she looked in him she knew she looked into something she had never seen before and he said with the most compassionate he said neither do I condemn you that's something she had never heard a day in her life all she had heard was how low down scumbag salt of the earth she was all she had ever heard was how she was a white trash girl how she was just a, a scumbag all she had ever heard was being used and abused and verbally and mentally and emotionally assaulted but for the first time in her life she met a man that looked at her and said neither do I condemn whatever you've done just go and sin no more I'm reminded of the Bible talks about in John chapter 4 Jesus in John chapter 4 and 5 Jesus goes and after he meets Nicodemus and, and he talks to Nicodemus he goes and he goes and he meets this woman out at Samaria and the Bible says that he's out there just hanging out wanting, while his disciples are in town buying groceries but this woman comes to draw water in the middle of the day most theologians say she could have very well been a woman that was very promiscuous because she didn't come with the less of the ladies in town nobody wanted to be associated with her Jesus asked her for a drink and she said sir uh, uh, he, she said well, he, you know I, I, I sure but but and he said well if you knew who was asking you for a drink you would ask him for a drink from the well of living water she said, sir, that's kind of complex for me to understand because you don't, you've asked me for a drink. You, you, you don't even have a bucket. You, you, you can't even get water out of this well. He said, honey, I was before Jacob, your fa- before your father Jacob ever dug this well. There I was. I was there when he dug this well. She said, there will be rivers of living water. And the Bible said, she said to him, yeah, I perceive that you're a prophet. He said, yeah, why don't you go out into town and why don't you call your husband and tell him to come? She said, well, sir, I don't have a husband. He said, yeah, you're right. You've had five of those guys, the sixth one you ain't decided to marry yet. You're still living with him trying to decide if he's worth putting a ring on it yet or not y'all can't figure that out she said oh God I believe I'm standing but you know what Jesus said he said why don't you just go tell the townspeople Jesus didn't condemn her he just said the same thing with love and compassion she said our fathers say we should worship in Jerusalem on the mountains but you guys say we should do it in Jerusalem Jesus said there'll come a time the father's not worried about if you're in Jerusalem Judea Samaria and you're in Berkeley County Dorchester County Orangeburg County Colleton County Charleston County it doesn't matter he's just looking for people that will worship him in spirit and in truth he doesn't care if you're red yellow black and white doesn't care if you're Asian he doesn't care if you're Filipino doesn't care if you're African American doesn't care if you're Caucasian Swedish English if you don't know what you are he doesn't care red yellow black and white they are precious in his sight Jesus from the north the south the east and the west all he's looking is for true worshipers that will worship him in spirit and in truth there is something about the gentleness of his voice and he speaks He doesn't scream at waves. He just says, peace, be still, and they hush. The gentleness of his voice calms the raging waters, stops the boisterous winds by just simply saying, peace, be still. The gentleness of voice. Psalms 103 refers to God as having loving kindness and tender mercies. Psalms 51 refers to it as the mercies of God. I remember the story, Elijah is standing on the outskirts of the mountain, he's praying, he's needing an answer from God, he's needing a word from God, he's begging God, God I need to hear from you, the Bible said about that time while he was praying there came 
climbing air, tornadic wind. He thought that must be God. But the wind blew by and Elijah heard nothing. About that time, the mountains began to quake and rocks began to fall and debris began to happen as, as the earth began to groan because the presence of God was nearby. But the earthquake subsided and God was not heard or seen or spoken of. There was a fire, an all-consuming blaze of fire. The fire of His glory, the power of His Holy Spirit blazed by. But no word was heard. No word was spoken. No doubt by this third time, Elijah probably thought three times is a charm. That's divine number. Father, Son, and Spirit. The Father must have come by the Son and the Holy Spirit. And that's it. The Bible said when he's getting ready to pack up shop, when he's getting ready to put his cloak back on, when he's getting ready to get up and call it quits, the Bible said there came a whisper, or some translation will say a gentle, still, small voice that just called him by his name. You're not always going to hear God when lightning's flashing and thunder's rolling. You're not going to always hear God when waves are, are, are coming over the bow of your life's proverbial boat. That's the time you probably are not listening for God because you're freaking out what's going on around you. When the earth is quaking, when the fire is blazing, when it's getting too hot in the kitchen and you feel everything around you is falling apart, that's not when you're going to probably hear God. But when you get alone and you sit down while all the world's falling apart around you, and the heat in the kitchen's insurmountable. You get in that prayer closet or you get in that car and you turn on that radio or you put on that worship music or you get in a prayer closet and shut the lights off and sit in there. Before too long, you may not hear wind blowing and you may not hear earthquaking and you may not see lights flashing or thunders rolling or, or fire burning, but you'll hear a sweet, small voice. There is a name I love to hear. I love to sing its worth. It sounds like music in my ears. It's the sweetest name I know. Oh, how I love Jesus. I'm telling you, he may not always come boisterous, but sometimes he'll just come by in a sweet whisper and say, I'm right here. I've never leave you nor forsake you. I am a friend that sticks closer than a brother. When your earth was quaking, I was there. The only reason you didn't hear me talking was because he who dwells in the secret place will abide under the shadow of the Almighty. While the earth was falling around you, I had put my wings of protection around you. You couldn't hear me because the noise was so loud but I was out there keeping the noise from getting inside to you when you saw the fire blazing I was the one protecting you so you didn't scorch and burn I was that fourth man walking in the fire that you didn't know was in there with you when you saw the winds blowing I was the one saying peace be still you have a gentle voice of a savior that is always ready and willing to meet you where you are didn't hear him. In fact, the Bible tells us in Galatians 5, one of the attributes of the spirits of God, one of them is gentleness. That's a fruit of the spirit. The same spirit that the Bible we talked about in Isaiah 42 was placed upon Jesus. That same spirit, one of his characteristics or fruit traits is gentleness. Gentleness. When Jesus came to this world, he did not come with a shout. He didn't come loud, boisterous, but he came in a still, quiet, back stable in Bethlehem on a starry night. No big fanfare, no big hoopapalooza. The shepherds heard the angels sing, but the rest of the town were you know, completely oblivious to what was going on in the backside of the stable. He was meek, he was mild, he was a baby. He came quietly. 
Bible tells us that we too are called, if we are to have the fruits of the Spirit evident in our life, we are too, we are also called to be agents of gentleness. That word gentleness means being kind, tender-hearted, mild-mannered. Jesus says, or excuse me, the Apostle Paul told the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 4 and 32, Be ye kind and tender-hearted to one another, even so as much as the Heavenly Father has basically done the same for you. Be nice to each other. He's done it to you, so mimic what he's already done. There was a school carnival that was happening, and a group of siblings won four beautiful free goldfish. That night, their father went out to the local aquarium to try to find a, a tank for these fish. He started looking around. The first few were priced between $40 to $70, and he thought, I'm not paying that for a fish tank. Right as he was about to leave, he spotted right there at the end of the aisle on the end cap a discarded 10-gallon display tank complete with gravel filter and was going to be sold for a mere 5 he thought to himself, sold. It was dirty, nasty, filthy, disregarded. But after two hours of cleaning, he thought it was worth the $5 investment because he got the tank clean. He took those four beautiful fish who were now part of his home. He put them in this tank. For the first day, everything seemed to look good. That night, they all seemed to be swimming just fine, no big thing. The next morning he woke up to find one floating at the top. He thought, man, that's odd, but you know, maybe there's one bad bunch out of all, but we still got three more. Didn't think too much about it. The next day he got up, that morning a second one had met its final resting place. By that night, the third fish bellied up, down to one fish. His children are devastated and he doesn't know what to do. He calls... Someone who specializes, he was perplexed, so he decided, I'll call an expert. It just so happened that someone that attended their church had and owned a 30-gallon tank and had been involved in aquarium-type work for years. He came over to the house, and it didn't take him long to discover what the problem was with the original fish tank. The father had washed the tank with soap, which was an absolute no for the survival of those fish. His uninformed efforts had destroyed the very lives he was given to protect. Sometimes in our zeal to clean up our own lives and the lives of others, we unfortunately will use killer soaps on people. Soaps of condemnation. Soaps of criticism. Soaps of nagging. Soaps of fits of anger or temper. We think we're doing the right thing, but our harsh, self-righteous treatment can end up being fatal to someone down the road. Had the father never called for the expert to come in and diagnose the problem, all four fish would have died. Can I tell you, had the father not called in an expert, the Lamb of God, to take my place, every one of us in this building would have died and been in hell. Thank God we have a father that was sent us an expert. 
that specialized in cleaning us up the right way so we didn't do it because there seems a way that seems right unto man but it leads to death but the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life I thank God he sent an expert on my life Colossians 3 and 12 tells us therefore as God's chosen people holy dearly loved clothe yourself with compassion kindness humility gentleness and patience the church at Philippi the Apostle Paul instructed them in Philippians 4 and 5 let your gentleness be evident to all man for the Lord is nearby Proverbs 15 and 1 says a gentle answer turneth away wrath but a harsh word will stir it back up John 13 and 20 says this verily verily I say unto you Whomever accepts anyone that I send accepts me, but whoever accepts me must accept the one who sent me. If the Holy Spirit is a gentle agent, we have to accept that we too must be gentle in conduct, speech, and behavior. We also know that Jesus can sympathize. There is grief in situations. Jesus knows what we're going through. Notice what he says in verse Number three, a bruised reed he will not break, a smoking flax he will not quench, and he will bring forth justice for truth. He's going to be put in a very difficult situation. He's going to be unmercifully beaten beyond recognition. Christ can relate to all of our weaknesses because he was tempted in all manner as we, but yet he did not sin. Along the Jordan River, the reeds, that, that, that idea, the bruised reed, Isaiah was not just picking some random thing. He, the people of God would have known what those reeds were. Along the Jordan River, there would be reeds that would grow. And they would use them as conduit-type piping. What they would do is they would mold the reed by gently bending it, not breaking it, but gently just bending it, let it sit for a couple days, go back, bend it a little more, and they would mold it by bending it a little at a time. But sometimes in that process, the reed would buckle and they would call it a bruised reed. It's not good anymore. Broken. Because that bruised reed, when it buckled, would cause a leak or a crack. And if you tried to use it as a conduit, it wouldn't work. And so that bruised reed was also referred to as the broken reed. And I tell you, the Bible said he was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. What did he do? He took my brokenness and he put it on his shoulders. And the chastisement of my peace was laid upon him and by his stripes we were healed. No wonder when we're bruised can we serve a God who doesn't break. He may be bruised and battered but he doesn't break. Can I tell you they might have beat him beyond recognition but he is, he went to the grave but he resurrected and he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. You may feel like pastor you don't understand what I'm going through. No you may be going through all that you can go through and you may feel like the devil is beating you beyond recognition but you serve a God that specializes in bruises but never breaks. I'm telling you he was bruised for your iniquity you serve a God that will see you through to the very end he specializes in it he talked about the smoking flax the smoking flax had multiple parts to it 
A smoking flax was simply this. It was a piece of pottery that represented the body or the housing. Oil, which we know in the, spirit, in, the, in the Word of God, the oil represents the Spirit of Almighty God. Fire, which often is, de- is described as fire, uh, passion, or desire. A burning fire, shut up a most passion, desire. And then the smell or the aroma that had to do with attitudes. The analogy the prophet Isaiah was giving was that sometimes the wick, which is that little part of the flax, sometimes it can be smoking, but the fire can already be gone out because it has lost its connection to its fuel source, which was the oil. There are a lot of people, you take a candle and you blow it out, you'll see the smoke for a while, but there's no fire on the wick. It's just the leftovers from what it was. I'm telling you, there's a lot of people, they burn out. They smoked out. They got a wick that one time burned, but it's now smoldered. The fire has gone out because they've lost connection to the fuel source, the oil. I'm telling you, the Bible tells us, but the Holy Spirit wants to be a rekindler of fire. He wants to refine us, and He wants to rekindle us. Jesus did not discard us when the oil ran out, but instead, when you can't get that thing to light, you know what you do to a wick? You trim it. You trim it so you get all the all the burnt parts off the top, so that way, because if it gets too crispy, it won't light again. But if you trim that wick down just enough where you get really the charred part off, you can light that same candle over and over over and over again sometimes the devil may try to blow you out he may try to snuff you out but Jesus said I am the vine my father's the vine dresser and he'll prune sometimes sometimes he'll cut the wick back so that when the spirit of God comes down you can catch flame again because of the spirit of God in your life and then finally Miss Carol as you come we have a guarantee that he has the solutions We have a guarantee he knows the outcome. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows it all. How do I know that? Verse 4, he will not fail nor be discouraged till he has established justice on the earth and the coastlands shall wait for his law. Well, how can you promise me that he's going to be a guarantee of solutions because he does not fail and neither does he get discouraged. I can have assurance and confidence because God never fails. He never fails. Philippians 1 and 6. Be confident of this very thing. He who has begun a good work is faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Malcolm Forbes, the senator, said this. It's so much easier to suggest solutions when you don't know very much about the problem. Can I tell you today that I'm thankful that I serve a God that not only has solutions, but He knows all about the problem too. He knows how to fix it because He already knew about the problem before I knew about the problem. There was a story told of a man that had obtained a very severe rash on his body. He came to town and he visited one of his colleagues and who was a doctor. And after a series of tests, the physician advised the patient that he needed to get rid of his dog because the dog was causing a severe allergic reaction. 
As the man was preparing to leave the office, his friend walking beside him, out of curiosity, he said, Hey, man, are you going to sell the dog or give it away? What, what are you going to do now that you have to let go of your dog because of your reaction? He said, I'm not going to do neither one. He said, I'm going to get what, the, what those men in town call a second opinion. I've been reading a lot about second opinions. And I've come to the realization it's easier to find another doctor than it is a good bird dog. See, the reality of it is there's a lot of people, they don't like to hear what God says, so they try to find something else to make sure that it aligns up with what they want to hear. Some people, the preacher will preach, I don't like that, so I'm going to go to the church across the street. Maybe their preacher preaches it differently. Well, I don't like that, I'm going to go to the church across town because maybe they do it differently. For too long, I'm not going to go to church at all because I don't think any, all of them are just hypocrites. All of them, they're just not relevant. All, all the churches I've went to, they're judgmental. People will always look for secondary opinions until they find one that matches what they want to hear. With itching ears, they'll turn aside to sound doctrine and turn to faith. They only want to hear what they want to hear. Folks don't always like what the B-I-B-L-E has to say. But I just want to tell you, I didn't write the book, so I can't change the story plot. I didn't write it, so I can't rewrite it either. Because I'm not the one that died for it to become alive in my heart. You can consult with all the resources you want, but God's Word remains the same. It is unchanged, uncompromised, unwavering. It has stood the test of time and the scrutiny of men for countless ages. According to Matthew 24 and 35, Mark 13, 31, and Luke 21, 33, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word shall remain or abide forever. People have tried to discredit it. People have tried to get away from it. But the word is the same whether we like it or not. Everything else falls apart. But his word remains steadfast and sure. I want to tell you no matter what you're going through. Just remember you've been given a money back guarantee. A surefire guarantee that there is one who has everything in the palm of his hand. He knows the end from the beginning and there's nothing going to catch him off guard. How do I know? Because the Bible said he will not fail and he will not be discouraged. I serve a God that has never lost a battle. He has never lost any prayer that has been prayed. I serve a God that never fails. Never fails never fails the grace of God has been given to us through the sin, sinless life and sacrificial blood of the spotless lamb of Calvary we are called to be agents of grace we are to show others the loving kindness and tender mercies of the Lord thankfully God did not discard us therefore we must realize there are others who need to experience that same promise Thank God he didn't throw the clay away. He may have had to remold it and reshape it a time or two, but he didn't throw it all away. Let us not grow weary in well-doing, but keep striving to show this dark world the pathway to righteousness that leads 
to the loving arms of a gentle Savior who still dispenses an immeasurable amount of tender, loving grace. The old song says this, Grace, grace. God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all my sins. Whether you or I like it or not, we have been given tender grace. We've been given something we didn't deserve. In fact, mercy and grace go hand in hand. One of them is not getting what you do deserve. That's mercy. Mercy is you not getting what you deserve. You deserved hell. You didn't get it. That's God's mercy. Grace is getting what you didn't deserve. Mercy says, I'm not going to give you what you deserve. Grace is we didn't deserve it, but we got it. I didn't deserve the grace of God, but he still gave it. We must realize that no matter what we face outside these walls the next week, no matter who we come in contact with this week, God has dispensed to us an immeasurable amount of grace. So too must we dispense the same gentle kindness, love, and grace to those around us because we are to be bearers of his presence and agents of his grace. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I want to pray for you today. And then we'll stand for our benedictory prayer. Eternal Father, I have done the best of my ability to preach the unadulterated word of God to the people of God, for the people of God, for such a time as this. God, I pray a prayer of blessing over each person in this house and watching online. But ultimately, God, I pray today that you would let us not forget the grace of God that found us and kept us and sustained us and has been with us every step of the way. Don't let us leave this place forgetting the grace that saved and found us. And help us to be agents of grace to dispense that to others in need. We are thankful for the grace of Jesus. We didn't deserve it, but you gave it, and we are in eternally debted to you for it. Father, today as we leave this place and we have been in your house, let us be able to say it has been good to be in your house. When we leave, will you go before us? May you bless us and keep us. Make your face shine upon us. Be gracious to us. Lift up your countenance towards us. Give us peace that surpasses all human understanding. Guard our hearts till you come again. Let the words of our mouth, meditation of our heart be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our strength and redeemer. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the people of God together said amen. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand all over the house. We're getting ready to do the benedictory prayer. Don't forget Wednesday night Bible study at 7 p.m. Uh, in uh, the Fellowship Hall area. And we'll have uh, snacks and things for you, but so make sure you are here for that. Don't forget this weekend coming up, regular services, Sunday school at 10, worship 11, uh, p.m. service next Sunday at 6. Uh, pray for me and my wife. We have to go to a wedding uh, in Pennsylvania. We're leaving Wednesday morning to head to Pennsylvania to be a part of a wedding. Uh, some of you may have been here a few months back when Zach came and he played the guitar uh, for us. He's one of my friends from Pennsylvania. He's getting married, and uh, and so I'm I'm going to Pennsylvania to to uh, 
be there and support him and his new bride. And, and uh, she has a little boy. So, so I have a kindred heart for people that are going to be bonus parents and take on the role of helping children and, uh, and, and raising children like that. So I'm going to be in Pennsylvania uh, leaving Wednesday. And I'll come back Saturday night. But pray for your preacher because the wedding's at 4. And I'm driving all night so that I can be back at church on Sunday morning. So pray for the preacher. But pray that Sister Brianna stays awake so she can drive some on this trip. Because I can't do it all alone, okay? So I need her to take a coffee and a couple of chocolate-covered coffee beans and give me a couple hours and, and make it there. So if she can give me at least two hours, I think I can do the rest. But uh, pray for us as we go to that wedding. But pray for Zach and his beautiful bride-to-be. Uh, I talked to him on the phone this week, and he's really excited about us coming, and he's excited about getting married. His family is wonderful people. I, I had the privilege of working at their or serving at a church where they were under uh, our watch and care. Uh, there at the Church of God there in Camp Hills, uh, Pennsylvania. But uh, we're going to pray that God blesses his marriage, and we're just excited for him. And I told him next time he comes to visit, he's going to have to get a hotel because I ain't got enough beds for him, his wife, Matt, me, Brianna, Micah. We're running out of room at the parsonage. So uh, we're going to have to borrow a house. I'm going to send your brother Randy's uh, apartment, his 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 uh, suite that he has in his house up there. But, uh, but pray for Zach and his wife, and pray for our traveling mercies there. Also, I want you to uh, continue to pray. Uh, Sister Dale is still uh, battling a, a congestive cough, uh, just won't relent and let it go. Um, Sister Ashley Harley was on her way to church this morning and got sick, and I uh, had to turn around and go back home. Uh, Sean's sick. I, yep, Sean's got sick too. He, I, I, thought I heard that correctly. Sean was sick, and he's not doing well. There's just so many people just battling stuff right now. Uh, Brother Wendell wasn't with us today. We want to pray for him as well. He wasn't able to be at church with us today. And uh, countless others were not here. We, we don't know yet why, but, but, but obviously something kept them from being here today. So we want to pray for them as well. I'm going to ask um, Brother Mike King if he would be so kind to pray our benedictory prayer. And following this prayer, you can be free to be dismissed. We love you and we're praying for you. God bless you. Brother Mike.